and it was a Disney princess parade. And it just happened to be that they were there at that moment and just happened to be that as they came into full view of the parade, there was their daughter's favorite Disney princess, and she was dressed exactly the way that their daughter was dressed. Because uh, I guess, you know, it's the trademark dress or something like that. And so, and just at the right moment, this Disney princess locks eyes with their daughter and looks at her and points at her and points to herself. And she says, she says to her, we're the same. And you could imagine how that just like made her daughter just, that made her year, you know, probably made her decade. And, 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 uh, how it filled her with a sense of wonder and, and of pride and, and just kind of gave her a, a jolt of confidence for that day. And it made me think about how Scripture tells us that when we know Christ as our Savior, that we are placed in Christ. It tells us we are actually seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That Jesus looks at us and says, we're the same. That God looks at us when we know Christ is our Savior. Meaning we have received Christ's righteousness as our own. We have recognized that Christ paid for our sins on the cross. What happens when we do that is his Holy Spirit indwells us as God's children. And God looks at us and says, You have my son's righteousness. I don't see your sin. I see the righteousness of my son. In many ways, he's saying, you're the same. You're the same. God changes when we walk in relationship with him, when we walk in relationship with each other as a local church with him. He changes our definitions of things from the inside out. He changes our definitions of who we are. He changes our definitions of of our worth, of how we define ourselves. We we are intended to begin to look at ourselves the way that God looks at us, to think of ourselves in the way that God thinks of us, to think of our sin in the way that God sees it, to consider ourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're called to look at our dreams differently than we have. To, 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 rather than asking ourselves, how could God ever use me? To ask ourselves, how does God want to use me? Rather than asking ourselves, well, what sort of gifts could I ever have? To, to stand in faith that we are given at least one spiritual gift when we come to know Christ as our Savior. And to seek that out and to see how God would choose to use us with his power working through us. Do you understand something? Sin has screwed up a lot of very important aspects of life. It, sin has screwed up our, our definition of love. He's, he's, sin has screwed up our definition of family. I, sin has screwed up our, our idea of responsibility. Responsibility for ourselves responsibility for one another and there's a lot of different situations that we need God's wisdom we need God's truth to help us to walk through 
how do we relate to these relationships? Relationships with with family, relationships with our church family, relationships of, of responsibility. Relationships in which someone else is not being responsible and we're, we're wondering how much am I responsible for them? Timothy had to walk through all sorts of questions like this in the mess that was the church in Ephesus. And so often it's easy to fall into knee-jerk responses, emotional decisions of what we are to do. It's so easy to fall into emotional responses in response to the needs of others. But the gospel leads us not just into salvation, not just into standing in Christ's righteousness. It really leads us into a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, a relationship in which the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and should be able to guide us and direct us. And that should allow us to walk with Christ through deciding how to care for others. See, there's redemption in the gospel. Not just redemption of our eternal home. There's redemption of our understandings of responsibility, of personal responsibility, of family responsibility. There's also redemption of the understanding of family The gospel redeems our earthly families. You've probably seen that when when the family tree gets changed. You know? When when every, every branch of your family maybe was going down a normal, sinful direction to destruction and Christ steps in and and your branch gets changed dramatically. But also the gospel redeems our understanding. It broadens our understanding to a spiritual family that we are together as a body of Christ. It's sad. I heard I, it's sad how much family gets gets um, distorted in our world today. I was listening to an interview on NPR and uh, yesterday, and they were interviewing an uh, a, an author, and she just happened to kind of throw out there, you know, kind of like assuming we all agree with this. And then she said, you know, there is no definitive family structure anymore. And and you know what she's talking about in terms of, you know, can there be uh, uh, more than, you know, two dads, two moms? Do they need to be married? Do they not need to be, do people need to not be married? Where where do kids come into the the mix? And it was sad, that recognition, and, and, and I don't necessarily agree what, what, what she's saying, even with generally in America, but she said there's no definitive family structure anymore. Well, the gospel is intended to redeem us back to what it means to be family. And not just a physical family, not just a natural family, but to expand that to understanding the spiritual family that we have with one another. And Timothy is challenged with that. And I challenge you to let God redeem your idea of family, as we see it here in verses 1 through 2. Timothy's told, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Timothy's being told, Timothy, think biblically. 
These false teachers that are in the church there in Timothy, in, in Ephesus, Timothy, they are not enemies. If they know Christ as, your, as their Savior, look at them as fathers. Deal with them as such. And on the other side of the spectrum, Timothy um, being likely single, that he's not to look at these younger women as the world does, as commodities, as something to be used. Look at them as sisters and treat them as such. Timothy is to treat every age group as he would members of his own family. Now understand, though, this isn't a formula. This isn't like uh, there's, there's much in this the passage here this morning and through all 16 verses that we could make the mistake of treating it like some sort of formula rather than seeing the principles that are there. But Timothy's not bound by this idea in terms of all uh, you know, men that are older than him. He's told later in this chapter regarding elders that if an elder persists in sin to rebuke him in the presence of all. But Timothy's being reminded here to don't just think earthly, don't just, but to allow God to redeem his understanding of these people around him. To think biblically toward them. You know, um, one of, I, I love the Dr. Seuss book, Horton Hears a Who. This is not popular in our day today. There's a lot of, of people in our day today that don't want to hear that a person is a person no matter how small. Because that, that's, the, that's the moral of the story in Horton Hears a Who. Because in our world today, especially it's being, it's, uh, it is being put on display with, with several states and, in, and their abortion laws. In our world today, a person is being defined as a person if they're wanted. A person is a person if they're wanted. You see, a baby can be brought to full term, and if they're wanted, they're birthed. If they're not wanted, they're not a person. And therefore, they can be aborted. A person is a person, no matter how small. And, and, and uh, widows and orphans and, and younger women should not be treated as commodities, but as sisters and, and older men should not be uh, discounted or but treated as, as fathers. Because a person is a person, no matter how old, no matter how small. In rural America, as I uh, continue to study what's going on in rural America and things, what I observe and what I predict is there is a caste system developing. There is a caste system developing. You know, there, I can just accept that when you move into a town, move into a small town, move into a rural area, you can live here for 20 years and you're still from somewhere else, right? But as we, as we see more and more uh, a system of, of people moving into rural Americas, finding out, finding cheap housing through the HUD housing system and things like that. You find neighbors coming from Chicago, from, from Terre Haute, and things like that. There is a caste system developing. There's a system of untouchables developing. Maybe somebody who's on public assistance. Maybe somebody who, who their kids are in and out of foster care or something like that. There's a caste system developing in rural America. And that is not got by God's design. Because a person 
is a person. And we need to prayerfully understand how would I treat this person? How do I help this person? How do I work with this person? As we would someone, we would want someone to treat and to work with our own family member. That doesn't necessarily, we'll see this as we get into talking about widows, that doesn't necessarily mean jumping in and fixing everything. It takes wisdom, it takes walking with God through it. You see, uh, Generation X, which I think I kind of fit into, was the first generation that talked about we have family of birth and family of choice. And this isn't necessarily biblical. But family of choice became a thing of this is the family I choose to hang out with as opposed to my family of birth. Paul is reminding Timothy here that we have a family of God's choice. And that's our local body of Christ. The church, which, which, which is, it means those who have been called out to assemble. It's a local body of Christ that we're tre- to treat as more than just, just somebody that I see on Sunday, but as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. And with the understanding that God sovereignly defines our church family, we're called to honor father and mother. And it takes a new direction, if you will, as Paul talks about honoring widows. And and secondly, so I challenge you, let God redeem your idea of responsibility. And so in these verses 3 through 16, which I'll read through here, Paul writes, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is no less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll a younger widow, younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Now let me just say here, when he's talking about enrolling, not enrolling, we're talking about first century, uh, kind of like a first century welfare system coming from the church. The, that, that there was actually a role of of widows that were cared for by the church, by being given financial assistance. One can assume that what Timothy comes into here is that system had kind of gone haywire. And, and there wasn't a lot of wisdom being used in, in who would be on that role, who would be enrolled in that and who would not. So we continue in verse 14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. But 
For some have strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Understand that that there's a history in the Old Testament of God uh, describing his care for widows, his concern for widows. Really, in the Old Testament, there's three groups that kept coming up that God communicated to the nation of Israel, his privileged people in the Old Testament, of that he was watching how they were caring for these people. First of those groups is immigrants or sojourners, sojourners in their land. Second of that was orphans. And thirdly was widows. Uh, Paul tells them in Deuteronomy 14, uh, describing uh, these three groups, saying... Um, First, he talks about the Levite, who was of the priestly tribe, and he didn't, wasn't given any land, so the tribes were to be generous with the Levite. And the Levite, because he has no, propor- no portion or inheritance with you. And the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, and that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that you're, of your hands that you do. And this carries on there in James 1.27 in the New Testament where we, we are familiar with religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Understand that when uh, Israel was kind of at its lowest, The prophet Jeremiah was warning them, uh, was warning the tribe of Judah that was the only ones left, that they were going to face deportation. But he told them that you would would still experience the, the blessing of God and be dealt with graciously if you truly, and this is Jeremiah 7, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, And after their deportation to Babylon and their return back to the land, they promised God, we are going to obey what you tell us to do. So why is it that when Jesus is in the temple and he finds opportunity to teach his disciples and and these rich Jewish people come in with, with their gold and their silver and they drop it in the temple offering, that there's a widow there with her last two pennies. That was not to be. That was not to be in Israel. But you know what? The prophet Jeremiah foretold a day when God would write his law on his people's hearts, when, when his spirit would indwell them and he would lead them to obey. And that day came at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and indwelled the church from that point forward. And what do we see happening in Acts 6? That the the apostles say, there is so much being done to care for these widows that we need to appoint men. They're not going to pass out the food. They're going to manage the passing out of the food to the widows. Because that's what God was birthing in his people to do, again, to care for one another and to care especially for the widows. But here we come to this letter to Timothy in which this system of caring for the widows is going haywire. 
And really what you see going on here is there needs to be wisdom. Some need to be cared for so that they might be enabled to serve. And others are being enabled to sin. Enabling comes up a lot in our lives, right? You ever ask yourself that question? Am I enabling this friend? Am I enabling this family member? It's a real thing. And it's what's being dealt with here. And I understand, I don't believe we're given as much a formula here as we are giving principles for wisdom. So our verses are dealing with helping the church discern who are truly widows. Notice in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Verse 5, she who is truly a widow is left alone, etc. Verse 16 talks about let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now it's not describing, it's not saying that some of these younger women that had lost their husbands are not widows, but he's talking about who are those widows that should be on this role of support from the church. He's saying you have to have wisdom with this, Timothy. But notice the first concern and what should be our first concern in verse 7. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. He's talking about the widows. He's talking about the leaders of the church. He's talking about the leaders of the church in general. That our testimony might not be harmed. That, that, that those who are receiving help are not being enabled to sin. Are not being enabled toward idolatry. And we'll touch on that more. Another order that Timothy is to carry out is to make sure the widows are cared for, but it's to be in a responsible way. And notice that the church is, uh, notice what the church's first line of provision it is to be able to, to make sure is happening. In verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Christian men were expected to provide for their relatives. And the term provide here carries a sense of careful planning for the future. But, but tie into this, folks, the wisdom that we need to have. And observe that as we'll see it in the coming verses. But a Greco-Roman statesman, if he wanted to run for office, one of the things that was going to be looked at in their culture was how has he cared for his relatives? And that, and that was considered uh, an important part of whether they were worthy for office or not. It was, it was, I share that to say that it was an understood thing, even in the unbelieving world, the importance of caring for those in our family. And verse 16 says, but if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Christian women were expected to care for their relatives as well. And both what's talked about with men providing for and women caring for here, both of these have a financial provision side to them. The InterVarsity Press uh, Bible background commentary says adult children and other close relatives were expected to care for destitute widows who had no opportunity to earn wages in ancient society. It was believed that one owed this care to one's parents for their support during youth. And if others should be caring for them, children or grandchildren, Timothy was to encourage them to do so. You know, we're told that the world will know that we are Christians, or which means little Christs, by our love. 
And that love is first expected from Christian family members caring for each other. And we have to have wisdom as God's people to know how does God want the resources that that he has brought into our care, how does he want that used? Warren Wiersbe said, too much of God's money brought by faithful worshipers has gone to waste because well-meaning Christians followed their emotions instead of God's word. And so so we have to be on guard against knee-jerk emotional reactions. We have to, to, to work with wisdom to know that we are enabling someone to serve the Lord, that we're enabling someone to grow in a relationship with the Lord and not enabling them to sin or enabling idolatry. We're called to walk through these decisions in relationship with God. And first of all, to let God define true need. Just because we feel an emotional compulsion to help does not make it a true need. He says, honor widows who are truly widows, and so on. And so in this situation, a widow then, he's talking about a widow that would be in, put onto the role of receiving financial help from the church in the early, in the, um, in the early church. Again, we might have kind of a knee-jerk reaction to give to what we think is a need, but Paul writes about true widows. And we can relate to the fact that we need God's wisdom to help us to see what true need is. Conditions here were, were that they would have no family that are able to help. They rely on God for their provision and seek it from Him prayerfully. In other words, caring for her is not keeping her from relying on the Lord. Not being self-indulgent. It's possibly it's talking about that. Um, well, this this is common today. I, I've heard from more than one source uh, of of Christian widows that are that are back into the dating scene, if you will, or you know, trying to find a, a spouse, and and how discouraged they can be to find fellow Christians that have kind of justified the fact that well. I was already sexually intimate with my first spouse. What does it matter if I wait with the next person? This is a common thing. And it was common in that day too. You see, we're always tempted to make people or things into into idols. An idol can be defined as something that we give to it, something that belongs to God in order to get our needs met by that person or to get our needs met by that thing. It's a very common temptation for, for single people uh, may, uh, to, to think, if I give to this person what it is that they want, maybe they will take care of my needs. And it's likely that Paul is saying that This person needs to work through that first. The warning is against a spiritual deadness. There being no sensitivity to the Lord. And idolatry has taken over the heart. And sometimes we can hurt more than help by giving people money. And we need to let God define what is wise help. Or wise enablement. 
you could say. It says, let the widow be enrolled if she is no less than 60 years of age. And these, these qualifications go on. Must be having been faithful to her husband. Well known for her good deeds. Paul lists, uh, cites five examples of this um, that span the realms of home and church and community, including child raising, hospitality, helping others in trouble, and various other kinds of good deeds. Anna, who's in the temple in Luke 2 and meets Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus there. She's likely an example of this type of widow. She's described, it says, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And this is the type of person that Paul is saying to, to support her financially is to enable her to do God's work. It's not enabling an idle relationship with the church, right? Because we can make the church an idol, right? Well, if I just do this and this, the church will keep giving me money. The church can make people an idol. Well, if we just give to this, maybe they'll be good. Or maybe they'll, they'll um, not be upset with us. It doesn't honor God when we serve idols rather than him. What does honor God is when we come to him and say, Lord, will you give us wisdom here? Will you help us to know what is going to further your kingdom? It all belongs to you. What do you want done with it? So this is not a formula. This is pressing us into relationship with God to discern what is wise help. We need to let God define unwise help as well. He speaks of, of younger widows, and this was problematic. Um, so, so the situation here is not describing to the, the, that they're deciding to marry would draw them away from Christ. It's not describing that they fall away from a relationship with the Lord. It, it, it's describing that, that they would have committed to, to serve the church, they would have committed to celibacy. They would have committed to not getting remarried and, and being as a part of this role, of whatever this was, of support in the early church. But then deciding to walk away from that, desiring intimacy, desiring marriage, and that drawing away from the commitment to serve the Lord, to serve the church wholeheartedly, as was expected in that day. I would suppose if they were on this, this role of support. But there was apparently some sin being accepted. Maybe, maybe the behavior was being ignored out of pity for a woman's tragic situation. And Paul was, is expressing between remarrying and being supported by the church, have them remarry. And, and so he's giving instructions to Timothy to dealing, for dealing with this immediate messy situation there. But I like the principle that the Bible knowledge commentary draws out of this. He sa it says, too much time with not enough to do is dangerous for anyone except those too old to get into trouble. I think that's probably a good uh, uh, principle to take away from here. But we have the understanding here, uh, in our culture, you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. What we see here is that, is that a direction to, I believe, to healthy enablement and, and being on guard against 
unhealthy enablement, enabling someone to continue in sin, enabling someone to continue in an idle relationship with either you or with a lifestyle that they keep pouring resources down that rabbit hole and that's what they're going to do with the resources that you give them. I really, really, as I, as I think about the needs in rural America, I think often about Peter and John going up to the temple. And they come across a, a lame beggar there, a person, no matter how small. And, they, and he asks them for money. And they look at him and say, we don't have any silver and gold to give you. But what we do have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What would we say? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What? I think we need to ask ourselves that. That's something that we are praying about as leadership, something that we pray about as, as staff and family, is as needs come what does God want us to give? A lot of times, that knee-jerk reaction to swing in, to fix the problem, a lot of times that doesn't help. Allow it to draw you into your relationship with the Lord when you're in this situation. And I would bet most of you are. Most of you can think of a situation where you're trying to pray through, should we help in this way or should we not? I mean, imagine, I've, I've felt more comfortable recently. Uh, the, the chief of paramedics moved in across the street. I'm like, okay. I, I think I feel a little safer there. And um, another paramedic, uh, Nate uh, Patton, lived, uh, moved uh, into Curtin Genie's house down the street. And, and, and imagine if uh, your neighbor also inherited a fire truck, right? You'd feel like, like, okay, you know, I got a fire truck parked right across the street. I think we're a little, even a little safer here, Right? Well, what if you're in the backyard one day and you're enjoying your fire pit and maybe even if it's closer to your house than it's supposed to be living in the city. But, um, and uh, all of a sudden this stream of water comes over the fence and puts your fire pit out from your neighbor with his fire truck. He's a little overzealous with this thing. And you're like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, okay, sorry. If it's outside, not a problem. Good, gotcha. Well, you know, a little bit later, you got a fire going in your fireplace. Next thing you know, a stream of water busts through your window and puts that fire out. And you're like, what are you doing? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Fire in the fireplace, that's okay. You know, imagine like in, in, uh, in the Black Hills, they have controlled burns, you know, like in Custer State Park and stuff like that. Well, they'll set, you know, whole hillsides on fire and stuff. What if he pulls up in his fire truck and just starts putting it out? Like, what are you doing? See, in the same way, sometimes when we have the Lord's resources, we can get trigger happy with it. And I, what Paul is telling Timothy here is, Timothy, be wise. Do what's best for the person. Don't put out what uh, the Lord might be doing in them or what the Lord needs to do in them. And, and I'm so 
grateful that the Lord has, has allowed many of us to be involved with Pam's Promise, many of us to be involved with, with Trinity uh, and, and ministries like this. And, and, and we need to walk wisely and we need to be growing together. The, the people that are on both sides of the table to prayerfully to ask ourselves, and we as leadership and, and you as, as with family members or neighbors, we need to both together on both sides of the table grow in our relationship with the Lord as we look at the need, as we look at the situation and say, okay, Lord, we want this to draw all of us closer to you. And we need your wisdom for that. We need your wisdom. Let's bow our heads.